0: Welcome to our first episode of A Moment of Hope with me, Brandon Joyner. I'm so glad that you joined us today for our very first one. Whether you be listening through your podcast uh, host or you're on YouTube viewing us, I'm so glad that you jumped on. And I may be shooting myself in the foot a little bit with our first topic of discussion and I am mixing two things together that they say you should never be talked about and that is religion and politics but we're going to talk about them because the bible has things to say regarding the political system and the government. I'm excited because we have with us special guest Pastor Vandenberg. I'll get into a little bit more of a background with him. We're in the midst of a pretty emotional time of life when it comes to the government and what is a Christian's responsibility uh, interaction with the government. We're going to answer that question. We're going to we're going to look at other questions like what, how should Christians interact with other Christians that think differently regarding certain aspects of politics? And so I hope and pray that you're encouraged today through this very first episode of A Moment of Hope with guest appearance, Pastor Bob Vandenberg. Thank you so much, Pastor Vrattenberg, for joining us for our first episode of this A Moment of Hope series. I'm going to be honest with you. I have no idea what to expect, uh, but I do pray that there are some that will be encouraged through this. I know I will be just sitting here uh, listening to you. And so for those of you that uh, aren't as familiar with Pastor Reinberg, this is, uh, he is a been a mentor to me since we started the church plan, and so I won't take any more of his uh, time to explain himself because he knows himself better than I would certainly. And so, if you could, uh, Pastor Brandenburg, just give us just a little bit of background about your testimony when you became a follower of Christ, and then your ministry experience as well.
1: Certainly. Well, thank you for the opportunity, Brandon. It's a joy to be with you. I uh, I came to know Christ at an early age. Was had the privilege of growing up in a Christian home. My father was an ordained minister of the gospel, had pastored several different churches at different times, but then for the uh, uh, greater portion of his career, some 34 years, uh, he was involved in a prominent Christian ministry, and I grew up in Middle Tennessee, was involved in a a great church, a strong local church, and then went off to Bible college. Uh, But I remember growing up in public school system, they did not have any Christian schools, and in Tennessee, in that part of the state, and uh, so um, uh, I, I came to really appreciate uh, Christian colleges and Christian education, hmm. and uh, wanted to really take advantage of it when I finally got, had that opportunity. And while I was at uh, Tennessee Temple University uh, in the mid seventies, uh, when it was at its peak and sending hundreds of uh, of its graduates around the world as missionaries pastors, Christian school teachers, and many other uh, positions in ministry. uh, I I was bombarded with the the missions emphasis there under Dr. Lee Robertson at the Highland Park Baptist Church, and so God really began to get a hold of my heart there, and uh, it was one summer during summer school that I surrendered to preach the gospel. That was a big deal for me because uh, I was very nervous as a public speaker. I was prominent in music. I was a music major. Right. I uh, loved to get in front of people to lead singing or play the piano, but uh, ask me to speak or even read a paragraph of my own composition. I'd get nervous and out of breath and sound like I was crying. When the Lord began to deal with my heart about that, I had to say, okay, Lord, if uh, you're going to have to do something. You're going to have to change me. So I I got out of the situation I was in as far as ministry, music ministry. Right. And got, I could uh, preach the uh, speak, uh, teach an adult Sunday school class, and then from there, God called me to the mission field, the Cayman Islands, where we were for about 19 years in all. Yes. Okay. Awesome. Yeah.
0: So it's it's funny that you felt that way in public speaking. I was actually the opposite. My mom growing up, uh, she, you know, mom and dad both had me going doing piano lessons, and I remember the most scared that I had ever been was doing a piano concert at our church in front of my parents and a few other people. And I remember I messed up in my mind horribly. And I was, I came down the stage. I was crying because I was so embarrassed. So I have a dreaded fear when it comes to music, but I never really had a, a fear when it comes to speaking in front of people, and those that know me probably could see that that would be the case. So opposite for you, but but heard you speak, obviously gifted communicator, and so you serve now uh, as the senior pastor, lead pastor over at Friendship,
1: correct? Yes, that's correct. I've been there. This is my 20th year, and because of the uh, declining health of my first wife that God took home to be with with himself in 2004. uh, The Lord brought us in contact with Friendship Baptist Church, and uh, then they called me almost unanimously to be their pastor when the former pastor reached retirement age. So it's been a blessing, and they're a mission-minded church, and uh, the Lord had prepared me for such a time as this. So what you're saying
0: is, by God's grace, you've had many years of biblical education and ministry. By no means does that mean you're an expert on the Bible, because no one is on this side of eternity. But at least we can ask you some of these questions, and you've done your research. You're not a new Christian. Again, thank you for being here for this first topic. It's not an easy one to discuss, necessarily. Just You, know, you go on Facebook. You know, for example, and you can see from Christians, professing Christians, ranges of just different thoughts and beliefs regarding the government mandates within their particular state. And uh, it, it's, it's hard. I mean, people are losing their jobs and you can't gather together as a church and all of these different things. And so really, I, I believe it's, it's such an important topic of, of, of this. How do Christians respond to the government? And, and, you know, I'm not just looking at this particular situation as, as really one that we focus on, but overall, and, you know, we find ourselves in the United States of America. We have a set of freedoms. We have a set of values that's going to be different than other nations. So Christians, you know, they could think it's justifiable for me to respond this way. But I was talking to a person recently who's a missionary in China. Yeah. How do how do they respond underneath that government and the and the tyranny yeah. that goes on there? So so the topic of this discussion this morning is as we made a promise. It's not our opinion. It's all from the Word of God. And so the first question I have for you uh, this morning, this afternoon, whenever people are listening to it, is this: How does
1: God relate to government? Well, I think the Bible is very clear about that in uh, Romans chapter thirteen and and First Peter chapter two. God has ordained human government. We know that from the verses in Genesis from the time of the flood, but uh, God has ordained human rulers. They are uh, acting on his behalf, even though Satan is the prince of the power of the air. And uh, he, is the, he rules the darkness of this world, and he is in charge of the principalities and powers in, in the heavenlies. But still, God has ordained human government since the time of the flood. And uh, even a brutal, tyrannical, unjust government is better than no government at all. It's Mm. better than chaos. It's better than anarchy. God raises up rulers. God puts them down, the Bible says. In Proverbs 21, verse 1, the heart of the king is in his hand as the rivers of water he turneth it whithersoever uh, he will. He gives to human government the right and the responsibilities to, first of all, punish the evildoer, and uh, then to protect human life. And in doing so, they act for him, even to the point of capital punishment. The Bible says that the, the civil ruler beareth not the sword in vain. And I know there's a lot of Controversy, even among professing Christian circles, about whether capital punishment is biblical. Mm-hmm. But when it is done in a just way and uh, time is g- given to judge the guilt of someone, uh, yes, whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed, is what the Bible says. So that's uh, how God, the principal ways that God relates to human government.
0: So so it's interesting. You made a comment that I just want to touch back on. You said that even a horrible tyrannical government is better than no government at all.
1: Right.
0: Uh, I don't, you know, there's people out there that say, how is that even possible? You think about the times when Nero was ruling, and obviously he was the government at that particular time, uh, time period, and he was a horrible, horrible ruler, uh, killing Christians. So you're saying that according to the scripture, it would be better to have that than no government at all. Can you, can you maybe build upon that a little bit?
1: Yeah. Well, we have a case of that in the Bible during the time of the judges, there was no King in Israel. Every man did that, which was right in his own eyes. And it was a disaster one after another. And, uh, so there's, there's no order. Uh, there's no planning. Uh, there's no authority. And so, uh, You know, that is really worse than a brutal form of government. And so I think God gave us that book in the Bible to help us to see how bad things can get when every man does that which is right in his own eyes. We are fallen creatures. Uh, We do not have a consensus about how things ought to be done. And so there has to be someone to rule over us. So you're saying that, okay, government is obviously
0: ordained by God, which we know that that's the case, and God is sovereign, so God is in complete control, and and as Americans, it's our responsibility to vote, but if the person that's elected uh, or that becomes elected is different than who we vote for, based upon the sovereignty of God, we have to understand that God allowed that person. They are God's man, woman, uh, appointed person for that position. So then the next question would be, how are Christians then supposed to relate to the government? even if they're in China versus America.
1: Right. Yeah, well, the Bible makes that clear as well, especially uh, in the second passage I mentioned, 1 Peter chapter 2, we are told to submit ourselves to every ordinance of man and to do it for the Lord's sake. We're to do it as unto the Lord. We are to be submissive from our hearts. We are to pray for our government officials. Paul told Timothy Uh, First of all, he said we should pray for government, for all that are in authority over us. That's irrespective of party affiliation or whether we agree with them or whether they are taking the right stand on the issues. Uh, And the reason given is that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life Mm. in all godliness and honesty. The word honesty is often uh, translated dignity. Dignity. Okay. And so uh, that, that's so important that, that we remember that uh, to pray for our, our rulers whether we agree with them or not
0: It's interesting that you meant that you mentioned a quiet and peaceable life which brings us to our next question we as Americans have the beautiful privilege of being able to protest uh, we can yep. protest as obviously as long as we're not destroying things that goes against uh, the law there. But the question then is, and we talk about it from an American government standpoint, should we as Christians, if we live peaceable lives, should we gladly submit to the government? Should we work to change the government? Or should we just say, you know what, government's bad, I'm just going to listen to God. H- how do we relate that? Is that? Is it wrong to protest as Christians? Is it, is it wrong to voice our opinions with passion?
1: No. no, I think that we can do both. And especially in a, a, a government like we have here in the United States of America, we have a democracy in the form of a representative constitutional republic. So we are a government, as we learned and memorized as kids from the documents, founding documents, we are a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. And so we should work to change our government for the better through the democratic process, Mm -hmm. but also acknowledging and realizing that not even good Christians are always going to agree um, yeah, yeah. on matters like that, we, we don't agree in the local church. How we expect to agree in government, you know, <laughs>
0: which which is which is interesting. So, so the next question would be: Is how are we supposed to? What are we supposed to do as Christians? How are we supposed to respond to government leaders that we do not agree with? Um, you know, let's be honest. You know, Donald Trump is a is a president now. We respect him. He's God's ordained person. He's a registered Republican. There are people within churches. Some love him. Some don't like him at all. How do we balance that as Christians?
1: Well, first of all, we are to show respect for the office at all times. Uh, there were some. There have been presidents in our recent history that. I very much disagreed with on major issues, but um, and my people can attest to this. I refuse to call them nicknames. I refuse to be disparaging in my remarks uh, Mm. from the book or say something just for the sake of a laugh. We should be respectful. We should be supportive. Uh, The Apostle Paul apologized, in effect, when he Was struck by a servant of the of the high priest Ananias, and he instinctively lashed out and said, "God's going to smite you, you whitewashed wall." And then, when he was reminded who he was talking to, as great a man as he was, uh, he took the low place and apologized. He said, "I should not do that. I should not speak so of of the." of the high priest, of of God's priest. So we should need to be respectful. We need to pray, as we've already talked about, pray for our our elected officials, even those with whom we disagree, that God would use them, that God would bless their families, that God would intervene and change hearts. We should seek to educate ourselves and others about the issues, especially the, the moral issues. We have great examples of this in history, not just in the United States of America, but even before that in uh, in england i think of the great christian william wilberforce mm-hmm. who was uh, his life and and his time in politics in england has been documented in the in the, the recent movie i think it came out in 2006 or 2007 amazing yeah, grace, amazing grace yep. yeah. and so he interacted with john newton john newton was his mentor john newton was a uh, an anglican pastor and of course the one who wrote amazing grace and so Wil- Wilberforce showed what a true Christian statesman was. And he, uh, though he was in government, he was respectful to those that he disagreed with, but he kept championing the cause of, of freedom for uh, slaves, and and about led to the abolition of the awful slave trade that had been going on in the in the British Empire for for many, many years. The same thing has happened in, in our country, though it's not as well known, like with uh, child labor for mm. a long time. There was terrible conditions with children working 10 and 12 hours a day and and uh, malnourished and mistreated. And we had uh, uh, a lady but who became known as Mother Jones in the early days of the 20th century and a senator named Beveridge, who really championed the cause of child labor. And so and people got got on their bandwagon. And that led to the, the, the changing of the laws. And we can't even think of having children work under conditions, right. we can't even imagine that. Right. The conditions that existed in the early days of the twentieth century. So we are to call attention to issues, not personalities. We are to avoid avoid ad hominem attacks. We don't attack the individual. Mm, okay. uh, failure to do so has led to the terrible lack of civil discourse in our nation right now. It's never been as low as it is right now in in my lifetime.
0: Right. It's interesting that you made the point that we are to draw attention to the issues and not the person, which is sometimes hard to separate that because you you think about the abortion thing, right? Roe versus Wade. Okay, we think about those people, but it's those people are sinners just like what we are. But the issue is where we have. The issue with. And so, it really, kind of leads us to our next question. Is it ever right to disobey the government? From a biblical standpoint, is it right to defy the orders of the government in order to do that? Can you shed some light on that?
1: Well, uh, we are really coming to grips with hard decisions like that now. And uh, it, it, we need to reexamine our foundations and what the Bible says. And as I understand the word of God, uh, Civil disobedience, which is what you're talking about, disobeying the government, should only happen when we are forced to obey the government over God, when we have to disobey a clear command of God Mm -hmm. in order to obey the government. Acts 5.29 is the most succinct statement there where the apostles said uh, when they were forbidden to preach there by the the Jewish council in, in, in Jerusalem, we ought to obey God rather than men. Right. And so, but it's easy to to say that that's the case when it's not. Right. Uh, sometimes, and he, I've seen this lately, especially with among fundamental uh, believers, evangelicals. It's easy to uh, uh, say we ought to invoke civil disobedience just because someone is acting in an unconstitutional way. We've got to be careful there. That's not yeah. necessarily violating the word of God just because right. it violates our constitution, but. Civil disobedience is uh, taught in the Bible. It, the grounds for it, examples of it are given. We see it in the Old Testament with the, the Egyptian midwives who disobeyed the command of Pharaoh uh, in saving all of the male Hebrew children alive, and God blessed them for that. So you can't say that, that the Bible is, is silent on the point. No, God blessed those two uh, uh, midwives for disobeying the command of Pharaoh, but we see it with Daniel uh, and the three Hebrew children in refusing to eat the the non-kosher food in Babylon that was put before them. We see it with the three Hebrews refusing to bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's uh, image, a statue. Later, Daniel refusing to worship uh, the king and uh, being thrown into the lion's den uh, as a result of it. So yes, there are cases where we ought to obey God rather than, than men. And in some instances, people will not always agree on what constitutes the biblical <coughs> uh, violation. Mm-hmm. And that's why we have, have had in our history, not so much here, but especially in Europe, men like uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, mm-hmm. who uh, was privy and part of a, a plot to assassinate Hitler. And uh, eventually he was arrested, thrown in prison, and martyred just a few days before the end of World War II. He was a German Lutheran pastor and a prolific writer and, and someone that we respect, especially for his teachings about discipleship. But there are good, good Christians today that differ on whether Bonhoeffer did the right thing by plotting to assassinate even an evil government like uh, like Hitler's in World War II. The biggest
0: thing that we have to remember as Christians is that our first and foremost allegiance is to God. That, that's our first and foremost allegiance. And so you've got the word of God that lays out exactly how we're supposed to live. Yeah. What we have to be careful with is meddling the word of God in with the United States Constitution and therefore equating the United States Constitution and the amendments as being something that is biblical as Christians, we have to be careful on what we elevate, as far as issues when they're really not a Bible-based issue. And, and, and are we willing to lose our testimony over something at the end of the day where we would stand before God and yeah. He'd ask us why, and you explain to Him, is that, is that in my word? Was that really um, missing? Was that really worth missing out an opportunity to share
1: the gospel? Not only losing our testimony. Brandon, but losing our ministry—I mean, oh, absolutely. To remember, a, a large church, one of the largest churches in America, in the state of Indiana, that uh, decided the pastor there, well-known pastor who just passed away last year, he uh, he decided to dig in his heels and and not pay uh, withholding tax on the employees of that ministry for a number of years. It finally caught up with them, and and uh, many fundamentalists defended him and. And, and, uh, but he lost the church. He lost his ministry. He had to move to Florida, uh, and take early retirement. And the, the thing is, he eventually got thrown in with other dissidents, with other radicals. And he found himself, uh, sympathizing with, uh, anti Semitic, mm. uh, militia type of people. He was thrown in with them. And uh, so uh, we need to, learn from that and not repeat those mistakes. So,
0: so the next question would be, I mean, again, you've been a pastor for many years, church um, by God's grace is, is, a decent sized church. So I'm sure just an assumption that you have individuals in your church that do not see eye to eye on every political uh, topic. So what would be your advice for Christians? Cause it's okay to disagree when it comes to politics, what would yes. be your advice as Christians to not allow that to break fellowship? And are there certain um, principles that fall into politics where we should break fellowship with certain
1: Christians? Well, uh, we certainly need to take a stand for the moral issues of the day and uh, uh, things like abortion and uh, God stand on homosexuality, hmm. We; those are eternal, timeless, moral principles. And the Bible is clear on that. Uh, and so the principle of can two walk together except they be agreed, yes, that applies to those situations. But on many other issues, we need to agree to disagree and realize that Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. Mm. And so the kingdom of God trumps the kingdom of men. So yeah. we need to stick yeah. with the moral and foundational issues about which the Bible is clear. Uh, the sinfulness of man, the sanctity of life, moral purity, the family as ordained of God. Man is the spiritual head of the home. We need to take a stand for justice, but not the modern idea of social justice that is terribly morphed from the traditional understanding of it. Uh, but, you know, we we can't just make an issue of zoning regulations, <laughs> safety regulations, right, right. building permits, and we need to realize there's not a Christian view on every issue. There right. Are right. good Christians that disagree on free trade versus tariffs, <laughs> immigration, sanctuary cities and here's a big one vaccines labor unions tax breaks to attract certain businesses charter schools year-round schools clean coal nuclear power and on and on i could go we have in our church we have and this is a testimony to the spiritual maturity on the part of the people involved we have big pharma people who work on the same ministry board with people that are uh, believe in homeopathic remedies and uh holistic health all the way.
0: Well, what unites them, it's, it's, it's Jesus Christ. It's the gospel, right? What you have here, and, and it goes to churches as well, that you've got your primary issues, right? Your primary doctrines, those are biblical mandates. God's word, God says it, we don't falter on it. Abortion being one of them marriage between being between a man and a woman period. That's final. So, so we all, as Christians agree upon that because that's a biblical mandate. And I I think all this really goes back to what is our purpose as a Christian. And that is to honor and glorify God and fulfill the great commission. That is our purpose. There are other issues that we become passionate about, but they are secondary to the gospel. Um, So the last question I have here as we close this whole thing out is, how should Christians respond during this current pandemic? And if we can think about this, you're a pastor of a church, we relate this to a church standpoint, constitutionally, constitutionally, we have the right to assemble together as a church, even in the midst of this. Okay, Again, constitution isn't our Bible, but constitutionally, you have the right. You have not chosen to do that. I haven't chosen to do that. Can you give me the reason as to why you have not chosen to meet together as a church and uh, some of the things we need to think about when making decisions?
1: Well, uh, again, we go to brutal, repressive regimes not in the not-so-distant past that have uh, forbade Christians' to meet and they had to go underground or they had to just have small gatherings at a time at which we're allowed to have, we can have up to to 10 at a time. There are places in, in the world today where if uh, more than 10 were to gather, they would attract such attention from the government that they would be arrested. Well, those, those people, those house churches are not, um, Teaming up with others and 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 threatening lawsuits and trying to uh, uh, mobilize their power uh, in, in a way to force the, force the government. I think we need to be careful. This is a, a health issue. At least mm-hmm. we need to give the benefit of the doubt to our government that it is right. Uh, and it's, it's easy to cry wolf, wolf right away and lose our credibility and clout for. More egregious violations, perhaps of First Amendment rights down the road. Um, I I just think we need to not be quick to press that button. We should respectfully petition. Mm -hmm. We should ask for clarifications, which are going on right now. We should forbear threatening. That's one of the things. that we need to be careful for bear threatening. Christians are not to be the rabble rousers. Mm. They're not to be the ones jumping on the conspiratorial bandwagon. Yeah, I'm seeing that happen right now, and That's I'm huge. concerned
0: about it. Christians need to seek peace in all of this without faltering. What the gospel says and what God's word says, we stand on those. We those are hills we die on, but we do it in a, in a peaceful way. And one of the things we have to keep in mind is is there's a couple of things happening here some of us can use the bible verse uh let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together hebrews okay well praise the lord that we have technology where we're still i mean you and i are doing it right now we're still able and i understand we're not the same as person in person but we have the availability to do so one of the things we have to keep in mind is what perception are we also giving to those in our community that don't know christ for example The government's asking us, don't meet together as a church for the safety of our people. And we're basically saying, you know, I don't care what the government says, we're having church. Is that going to bring people closer to Christ that are watching us? Are we being the type of lighthouse that we ought to be in our community? And another thing we have to think about through all of this is we have to be careful in the decisions that we're making. Is it us doing it out of this rebellious, you can't tell me what to do nature? (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> or are we truly seeking the face of God in our decisions?
1: I think that's, you hit the nail on the head. Uh, we need to be very, very slow to uh, accuse the government here of uh, violating our, our rights as, as as believers. We need to surrender our rights to the Lord and then receive them back as, as privileges. And uh, it'll be amazing how God will show uh, in his time and in his way, he will vindicate us mm-hmm. if we forbear threatening. And if we're not careful, if we pursue the route that you've been describing there as what some Christians, the path some Christians are going down right now, uh, we're going to alienate those that we are called to evangelize. Right. we A case of that right now with our Christian school, we have a number of international students and we've been working with them and it takes a while for them to understand the gospel and get deprogrammed from the evolutionary atheistic background they've come from, especially in China. But we have some kids from China that are uh, very sensitive about the COVID-19 outbreak and the view expressed by many, including conservative Christians, that China is covering up something. Maybe they are. Maybe it will be found out for sure, and they'll be exposed. But these kids are, you know, being alienated from good Christian people in the United States and in in our churches because of the strong position we're taking against China. I think we need to realize that our first responsibility is to win these people to Christ, not win them to our point of view about this situation. That's huge.
0: Um, Pastor Brandenburg, thank you so much for your time, uh, keeping God at the forefront of all of our decisions, balancing the rebellious nature that we have. Uh, we still have a sinful nature. Uh, Romans uh, 7 talks about that. Paul talks about his battle with his, with his flesh, but yeah. balancing all of that and remembering that we are here to, to serve Christ and to yeah. honor and please him. So yeah. thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for your insight. We will continue to pray for your church as you look to uh, seek to reopen here, hopefully in the next few weeks.
1: And God bless you at the chapel there in in Chapel Hill, Brandon. Appreciate the privilege.
0: And there you have it. The first episode wrapped up, and you're probably thinking right now, I already knew all of that, but I still struggle, and that's okay. It's okay to struggle at times. Uh, God doesn't expect us to be perfect. Matter of fact, Romans says that we won't be perfect until we reach heaven. What is our goal as a Christian? Is our goal to fight political battles? Is our goal to go down, even though it's our right to protest and, and to stand up for our rights and to make our voice known? I'm not saying that that's wrong. There are ways to do that, and it's our responsibility to do so through voting and other peaceful means. But when it comes down to at the end of the day, what is our goal as a Christian? Is this political crusade that you're about to embark on, is that going to hinder your testimony for Christ? The real reason is to why you are here, and that is spreading the gospel and sharing the hope of Jesus with others. And so my prayer is that in the midst of this quarantine that we currently face ourselves in, and two, three years down the road, it'll be something else, that we would not lose focus. We would not lose sight of why we are truly here, and that is to honor and glorify God. Satan is, he's, he's not called the great deceiver for nothing. So he can use multiple different ways to deceive us into thinking that we are fighting a righteous and just battle when in reality we're distracted. So my prayer is in everything, in all aspects of life, we would go back to the Word of God. Who are we trying to please in our actions and in the way we view politics? There are certain foundations that we don't falter on. Those are biblical mandates. We don't falter on those. Those are hills we die on. But with others, I think it'd be good for us to have a little bit more grace in our life towards others because Jesus gives us grace every single day. Hope this is an incursion to you. Check back with us next week as we interview Lawrence Lardy on the subject of how race and the gospel intersect and how the gospel can permeate through multiple different races whether you're black, white, Asian, it doesn't matter. But how can we love with the love of Jesus with other races? Have a great week and we will catch you next week.